and welcome to episode 228 of Smarts, which, as you know, stands for Showrunners Make a Cute Riker Troy Story. Aw. Mm-hmm. Very good. Thank you very much. I am your host, Julia Gulia of Internet Fame Dash Podcaster, and with me, as always, is Trevor, aka Rudiger Q Podcaster. Hello. Hi. How about, how, how about some news? Okay. okay. So, uh, apologies for missing the show last week, but I was sick. And now, and now I'm sick. And now you have what I had. Yeah, thanks, a, by the on, way. On a one-week delay, but we're going to try to power through. Yeah. All right. So a little bit of news this week. So um, we have the premiere date for Stargirl on DC Universe. So we'll be premiering actually a little earlier than we thought. Uh, we'll be premiering on May 11th. Oh. And then you'll recall what they're going to do is air it on the CW the next day, mm-hmm. which is something they haven't really done before. Um, but the DC Universe version, in addition to being, you know, in 4K and having no ads and everything, will also, in some episodes, have uh, extra footage. So we'll be getting, like, the director's cuts versions of the episodes, the ones that aren't going to be cut down to, like, exactly 41 minutes and 45 right. seconds or whatever the CW stipulates that they are. Oh, wow. Um, in addition to, like, other behind-the-scenes stuff and other things, I think they're, they seem to be going all out with this and giving people a bunch of extra reasons to watch it on DC Universe versus the CW. We'll see if that works or not, but... As long as people watch it either way, I think they're happy. But I think they'd probably rather people pay to watch it rather than watching it for free. Yeah. Um, regardless of whether they, they get the ad money from the you know the sponsors or not. Um, but that's exciting. It's a little earlier. It's, it's around when we thought, but it's earlier than we were thinking recently because when we learned that the second season of Harley Quinn is going to be premiering in a few weeks, we assumed that that would run for 13 weeks. Mm-hmm. And then Stargirl would premiere maybe sometime in late June or something. But this would mean that Harley Quinn would only run for about a month. Mm. So maybe they're going to run half of the Harley Quinn season and then Stargirl and then the other half of the Harley Quinn season. It would be weird. to Like they broke Young Justice up into two halves, but that was 26 episodes. This is only 13. Yeah. So it would be a little strange. I don't know why they wouldn't just have, you know, a few more weeks of tabletop stuff or something and then Stargirl and then save Harley Quinn. I don't know why they would do that. But at any Um, rate, we're getting it in about two months. I'm very excited. And then the other news, we have a little bit of other TV news. So the actors that play uh, Chester and Allegra on The Flash, uh-huh. respectively, whose names I didn't bother to write down, have both been promoted to series regulars for next season. That's awesome. So we'll be seeing more of their characters. That's awesome. I wonder if this means we'll be losing any of our existing characters or whether it will simply be additive. I do feel like um, Chester kind of fills some of the same role that Cisco does in mm-hmm. terms of like the nerd in the lab mm-hmm. role. Yeah. Um, so that makes me a little nervous, but who knows? I mean, they could they could write their way around and give them different niches or whatever. They could power Cisco back up and have him go back, back out into the field as Vibe, for mm-hmm. example. We'll see. I'm very excited. So what was your comic of the week? I have no idea. Your you comic of the week was Dial H for Hero number <laughs> <Yay>! 12. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed this comic. I thought it was a really fantastic ending to it. And I think my favorite part of it and why I chose it for my comic of the week last week (laughs) and didn't really update my pick this week when I had the choice to, um, even though this week's Superman issue was really awesome. Was it Action Heroes? I can't remember. Anyway, it was great. Um, Yay, memory. But Dial H for Hero ended on such a wonderful note with H not standing for hero, but also standing for hope. And how it circled back to the very first issue where we see Miguel basically writing a letter to Superman. Um, And it it just followed up with that thread so nicely. And it gave us all hope. And the moment that they chose to come back to in all of the universe, in all of the places and times and things that they could have picked, he comes back to one moment earlier in the issue, which is such a small thing when they arrive in in metropolis and begin their new life um 
and they run in with a cute guy on a bike that was kind of digging in uh, digging Miguel but he didn't know what to do with that um and this this go around he asks him out which was totally great and I don't know it was just a really nice overall ending to the entire story that we've been seeing and we really see the growth of the characters both of them and the art is unbelievable and how they're walking down the street and they've they've like we see the kids but to them they see the hero versions or I don't know how to interpret it right because art is up to interpretation so I mean you could argue with me on this one and both of us would be right but um it was just a very sweet issue it was so full of hope which was running through the entire um segment and uh, I, I i just dig it i just dig it 100 percent. so that's why i picked it for yeah, my it was really good two weeks i mean I, i'm a sucker for any story that's um it's all about like the i don't know the inspirational qualities of the dc universe and the, the multiverse and you know the cosmology of everything and also you know the idea that superman mm-hmm. does this this kind thing for this kid <laughs> you know once years ago and it ends up meaning all the you know the entire multiverse and, and all yeah, of existence I mean, really- and even superman's own story <laughs> like at one point we see all of the art passing by for all the moments that were affected by their dialing h for hope um and we're being flown through with our main characters past panel after panel of um story that we know and that are drawn in different styles which kudos again to the art because it's astounding um and Miguel says, wait, holy crap, did I just save Superman? <laughs> um, so, yeah, even that. Yeah, that was really good. So for my comic of the week this week, I picked a, uh, it was a tie. I couldn't decide between uh, Flash number 750 and Stran- th- Strange Adventures number one. I thought you said we can't pick two comics. <laughs> I said you couldn't pick two comics. Oh, is that how it is? So okay, fine. Fl- <laughs> Flash number 750 is another great anniversary issue. I can't remember whether we picked Wonder Woman 750 or not, but I know we picked Action 1000 and Detective 1000. So this had a bunch of really great um, stories in it. The main story by Joshua Williamson carrying on the whole arc that's going on right now with the rogues and Paradox and everything. But then a lot of the backups were great. Mar- Marv Wolfman had a fun one with um, Riley Rosmo, who did the art on the Mar- Martian Manhunter series, sort of a fun Flash mm-hmm. mirror master caper. Um, there was a great one by Jeff Johnson, Scott Collins, a, a short story with Captain Cold and the Wally West version of The Flash, which could have been plucked right out of their run from the 2000s, which is my favorite Flash run. Um, I don't think there was anything by Mark Wade. What were some of the other ones that was in there? There was, um, oh, there was a great um, Jay Garrick story by Joshua Williamson that's good. That's also setting up some of the stuff in the future because, of course, Jay and all those characters are back now. Mm-hmm. Um and some great pinups. Howard Porter had a great pinup. There was some, all, some great stuff with the Flash family in there, all the different versions of the Flash family and everything. And yeah, it was really great. It was a really nice celebration of the the history of the character and the legacy of the character. But Strange Adventures number one, the new series by Tom King and Mitch Jarrods and uh, Evan Shaner, fantastic. With Evan Shaner on the uh, the more idyllic uh, Rand sequences and Mitch Jarrods on the more gritty, down to earth Earth sequences, present day mm-hmm. Earth sequences. Didn't he do um, Doomsday? No, no, no. Uh, no, Miss Jarrods did. Miss Jarrods uh, did Mr. Miracle with uh, with Tom King yes. and uh, Evan Shaner. You've seen do a few things. He's done. He's done a lot of stuff. I love his art. He's got sort of a great cartoony, almost kind of like a Darwin Cook kind of look to him, but a bit more rounded and filled out. Um, he's he's done like fill in issues here and there of stuff that you've read, but 
Um, I really like his his sort of clean, bright style. So it's it's a good mix for this. And the premise is really interesting. You know, the the idea that the media is sort of turning against a public figure like this, but um, him recruiting Mr. Uh, Mr. Miracle, uh, Mr. Terrific at the end to clear his mm-hmm, name mm-hmm. will make sort of an interesting team, sort of a, a team up premise for the series. Um, and, we, you know, this being Tom King, I'm sure there's more to it than mm-hmm. that. Like, I'm sure this is a situation where the truth is going to lie somewhere in the middle or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened to their daughter? A lot of yeah. a lot of other mysteries raised. Um, yeah, it's really it's a really great start to what is sort of a spiritual successor to Mr. Miracle to hear them say it. So. That was a lot of fun. It's going to be really good. Yeah. Um, So should we move on to your activity? I'm ready. So this week, because these series um, have all concluded now, we're going to, I thought it would be fun to rank the uh, sort of the phase one Wonder Comics books and see which which of them you enjoyed the most. Okay. Great. Which one are those? So um, (laughs) only one of them is an ongoing series that's still going on, but you could rank, you could just consider like everything up to now, the first year of the uh, current Young Justice ongoing. And then we've got uh, Naomi, Dial H for Hero, and Wonder Twins, which have all concluded. Okay. So those are the four books that we've gotten so far from the Wonder Comics imprint. So do you, you want me to rank them? I would like you to rank them, unless you want me to rank them first. Naomi is my top, top pick. Naomi's number one. number one. Okay. Even though that was only half the length of the others, you still felt like you got more 100%. enjoyment out of it? I just, every single issue made me feel all the feels, and the art was just unsurpassable. But... My second runner-up is Dial H for Hero. It mm-hmm. was really, really tremendous. And, and then, then is Wonder Twins number three and Young Justice number four? Just because yeah. I've heard you praise Wonder yep. Twins more than Young Justice. Yeah, definitely. Wonder Twins had a lot of fun moments and a lot of poignant moments, which surprised me. Because you think this is just going to be a farcical thing. But they, they had some they had some touching moments there. And, and the art on that is astounding as well. And they had a very... They had a series of important political messages. Well, I say political, but just socially conscious messages as well. Um, But, and so that leaves Young Justice, which also is amazing. And then um, also has Naomi in it. (laughs) So now it's... As well as the Found kids from Dial H for Hero and the As well as those, yeah. Just just arrived. Wonder Comics Clearinghouse. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think my, my ranking would be somewhere... Some, somewhat like yours. I really enjoy Young Justice also. It would probably be in like my top 10 or 15 DC books that we're reading right now, but it speaks to the, I feel like the quality of the other books that I would probably put all three of them above it too. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I really enjoyed Naomi, but it was short and it was a while ago. So I feel like the other ones are fresher in my mind. I think I'm still I, I think, so connected to it. I think I'd have to put, I think I'd have to say Dial H for Hero slightly above Naomi and then Naomi, Wonder Twins and Young Justice. But I, it's all, Very you know, fair. it could, depending on my whim. I think <laughs> Wonder Wonder Twins was great. It definitely has that sort of um, biting, um, what, God, what's the name of the writer of Wonder Twins? Uh, Mark Russell, that sort of biting Mark Russell social commentary oh, yeah. that we've come to and know mm-hmm. and love. Um, I really do love it. <laughs> yeah, I hope I hope they get to do more with those characters. I hope that I hope that we get, um, even though like uh, Wonder Twins and Dialogue for Hero were only solicited to be six issue miniseries that got expanded to 12. So in a way we've kind of already gotten the second story arc from both. I hope there's like a full season two of those, maybe in like a year when Naomi season two starts, whenever Jamal Campbell's done with Far Sector and comes back to Naomi. Mm -hmm. I hope they have like a volume two of all three of those books in addition to maybe some new stuff. I guess, I guess the Amethyst series that started just last week because she's, a character from that sort of young justice family. I guess that's a one, that's a wonder comics book. Also, but we've only had one issue of that, so it's too early to, to judge that. <laughs> yeah. 
So I'm not. One last thing is that I'll say about Jamal Campbell. I legit just kind of stopped myself and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I would enjoy Far Sector as much without his art. Because well, that's fair, the right? writing to say that he wouldn't so, enjoy it as much, but I think the writing the is writing excellent is too. The writing is excellent, but. but Tom King is excellent and other things are excellent. But pretty much whenever Jamal Campbell is drawing something that's also really well written, um, it just bumps it up so much higher to a different well, that's what stratosphere. A great, that's what a great artist does. I mean, Just that moment alone in the first issue is still stuck in my mind of her kind of still getting to know the planet and the sky itself changes um, changes. Uh, colors and, and imagery, um, you know, on a cycle. And as it's changing, it's sort of like the changing of the guards. It's it's open to what the real universe outside looks like. And that's what she really clings to and enjoys and, and wants to get to know more. And she's sort of hovering her fingers around one of the moons in her in her eye and you see her hands and the moon what she's looking at and then you see her face kind of doing the classic pose of the one wink like one eye is closed so she can get a better look at what she's doing and it's just such a playful human wonderful thing to see and i just i i love that moment and that's when oh man that was like page two and that's when it had me so i i just i don't know that's my take on jamal campbell he's great Mm -hmm. he's great so should we talk about our shows? Tremendously, so we got a yes. bunch of shows this mm-hmm. week. So we have the season finale of Doctor Who. We've got new episodes of Batwoman, Flash, Black Lightning, Legends of Tomorrow, uh, Clone Wars, and Star Trek Picard. Bring so it on. So the season finale of Doctor Who, the, the Timeless Children. Yeah. So I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff in here. I, I, to me, I don't know. Like, there's kind of a mixed bag. I don't think it lived up to, like, the the premiere and some of the best episodes this season, just because I felt like it felt a little stretched out to me, like... It felt mm-hmm. longer than it needed to be. Like there was a lot of exposition, a lot of talking, a lot of info dumps. Yeah. The stuff with the Cybermen was interesting, but I don't feel like you needed as much there as like how, there was just scene after scene of the master like monologuing, which was excellently performed. Oh, yeah. And He's really, tremendous. And, and sharply written. But I don't, I feel like you could have trimmed, this didn't need to be like 65 minutes or whatever it was. I feel like you could have, you could have trimmed some of it. it. It felt a little flabby to me. I feel like sometimes what I, when, now that the show's got a longer running time, like, Ideally, that's good because you can let the story take whatever shape it's supposed to have. But right. I feel like sometimes it leads to a little bit of laziness in terms of pacing, unless you're really diligent about that. Right. I kind of felt some of that here. And the ideas at play here were really interesting. The yeah. idea that the doctor had had, well, I don't even know how many lives, potentially hundreds or thousands of, yeah, of additional, they don't even know of how additional many lives, lives before yeah. they became the doctor, before right. like the first doctor, that the, the doctor was a... An anom- some some like an an anomalous child, this mysterious child mm-hmm. that this woman, um, what was it, Teleu or something like that? Um, I there's a C in there somewhere. Teleku, Teleki, Telesia. No, it doesn't I matter. Might... Um, so uh, Gallifreyan before they were called Time Lords or Gallifreyans, right. they had a different name then, which is probably from the canon somewhere mm-hmm. deep in the canon, and I'm just not familiar with. Uh, set out from Gallifrey, what later became Gallifrey, to to explore, found this young child. Um, thought that was a bit of a mystery, but also, you know, felt, you know, sympathy for it, so adopted them. And then there was a tragic accident, and they died, and they regenerated. And mm-hmm. this was the first regeneration on Gallifrey, and now this surrogate mother took it upon themselves to fully understand what was going on, not just for the sake of this child, but you kind of get the feeling also for, like, the betterment of Time Lord society, out of, like, yeah. some arrogance and a sense of, like, this this will it really... It became an obsession, this will as, really, as was this described. Will, this will elevate us to, like, our rightful yeah. place, because the, they've always had kind of, like, a little bit, a little, been a little full, full of themselves, right? And they do it, and they succeed in 
unlocking the secrets of this and like splicing it into all of their own genomes. Mm-hmm. And so, and this child, this timeless child would later go on to become the doctor, but they've had all these memories erased. Um, multiple, po- possibly, multiple, multiple times. Possibly for several reasons, but not the least of which is to preserve this secret mm-hmm. so that they, so that no one will know that this is something that they had to do to themselves that they, they don't they don't mm-hmm. rightfully own this this immortal place among the stars right. that this is just something that they grafted onto themselves that they acquired from elsewhere from yeah. another people mm-hmm. um, and they're like, where did this child come from are there more of them out there do they even exist anymore raises mm-hmm. all sorts of questions and as far as this alternate version of the doctor played by Joe Martin who we see once more briefly here mm-hmm. it, it explains how the doctor could have had other regenerations that we hadn't that we didn't see mm-hmm. because presumably um, the regeneration cycle being limited to 12, which is mentioned here, mm-hmm. doesn't doesn't, and perhaps never did apply to her, yeah. I'm guessing, because yeah. that, they, they imposed that restriction on themselves, yeah. but they probably couldn't impose it on her because she came by this ability naturally. Right. So, but it doesn't explain the Joe Martin, some aspects of the Joe Martin doctor, because that Joe Martin doctor was specifically a doctor. She had the TARDIS, yep. which had the broken chameleon circuit to make it look like an earth police box mm-hmm. and this couldn't have been some version of the doctor before william hartnell came to earth in the first place mm-hmm. it has to be like an 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 intra-doctor iteration mm-hmm. as opposed to like a pre-doctor iteration mm-hmm. so whether what we talked about previously when we talked about this about this being like from this mis- forgotten mm-hmm. season where the because they do raise the i forget what they called it but they do mention here this 6B or was it? Yeah. But they do mention here like the division or whatever it's called. Like this, basically this Time Lord Section 31 Mm -hmm. that was responsible for hushing all this up. We see them like offering the doctor, not yet the doctor, um, a role in this agency. Yeah. And so it's entirely possible. And this is what we talked about, Mm -hmm. about the season 6B. So it's entirely possible that after after the doctor stole the TARDIS, went to Earth, had a couple of regenerations, that they caught up with the Doctor and listed them again into this thing. They Mm -hmm. had perhaps several more regenerations in there, including the Joe Martin Doctor, Mm -hmm. before they somehow broke free again and went back to Earth and regenerated into John Pertwee. Mm -hmm. So it it doesn't answer all those questions, but it, it seemingly you know, lays down a lot of that track that they could potentially answer later, but obviously raises a whole lot of more questions. But the reason why the Master raged and destroyed Olive Gallifrey is because primarily they couldn't stand the fact that the whole time lord society was built on a lie and that everyone including himself has got everything that makes him eternal everything that makes him unique and and great came from his worst enemy and she doesn't even know it you know and doesn't you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like the idea that the doctor could be unique and special in the universe and this you know this anointed one and everything else and not even know or care or value that would be, you know what I mean? It's kind of mm-hmm. like the Lex Luthor Superman thing. Like Superman is is special without having to even try. And that just infuriates Lex Luthor, who's felt like he's always had to work for everything in his life. You know what yeah. I mean? It's kind of the same thing here. Um, so a lot of interesting concepts. I just felt like the stuff with the companions was interesting, like seeing them get to where they had to go and struggle and everything. I just felt like there was... There was a little too much. I, I I wanted more of like I wanted more of the backstory info dump, the mythology stuff because I found that fascinating. But then there were just a lot of other scenes of the Cyberman doing something or the Master manipulating the Cyberman. It's like, or the you know they get this shrunken Cyberman and he got like the the CG little silver thing, the mm-hmm. Siberium or whatever inside the Cyberman. He took it into himself and then it's like all all of that sort of stuff. I I'm like get back to the interesting new revelations, you know. So I don't know. I felt it, it felt like structurally it maybe could have been done a little differently, but I think that it it's got a lot of interest, interesting stuff in there, and and 
raises a lot of interesting things for the future. So yeah. th- this will be the last we see until the New Year special in nine or ten months, which will be another Dalek special like last year. Last year was a resolution of the Daleks, and this is going to be something else with starting with an R of the Daleks. So I guess they're they're starting a tradition of having the, the, the New Year's being a big Dalek adventure that also, I don't know, whether it's going to follow up on some of the revelations from this. And this ends with the Doctor being the prisoner of the Jadoon again, right? So, yeah. So we'll see. Oh boy. We'll see where that's going. Yeah, what, for, you... um, for all time, by the way, for life, yeah. with so, serving a life sentence. So what did you think of this one? I I agree with you. I think that there were lots of points that felt a little dragged out. I mean, I was there for it because um, the, the acting is so tremendous. I think that the scenes with the chasing, the chase scenes with the Cybermen were definitely longer than they had to be. And a few moments, like you mentioned, with the Siberium being admired by the master, then absorbed by the master, and all sorts of things. I mean, I thought it was a tremendous episode. I just thought it was a little bit meaty. Yeah. I, I thought that I kept thinking that it was good because I kind of suspect it was going to end on a cliffhanger because I'd seen on Twitter that it was like it was going to be to be continued in the New Year special. So I'm like, oh, the master's got the doctor in this like stasis field. Yeah. And He's going to trap her there while he goes off and conquers the universe with the Cybermen. Like, okay, yeah. so it's going to end any second. That's mm-hmm. going to be the cliffhanger. No, the doctor gets out and then goes back to the TARDIS and takes the bomb from Van L there mm-hmm. and is going to come back. And it's like, okay, she's got the bomb and she's going to threaten to blow up or not, whatever it is. Like, it's going to erase all, all organic life on Gallifrey. She's going to use that. I just that, had a refrigerator moment. I'll what's tell that? You. I'm sorry uh, uh, if I can interrupt. But. It's kind of weird to me that the Cybermen were made from the bodies of the Gallifreyans, but the Gallifreyans were dead dead. How come the Gallifreyans didn't regenerate? Well, they weren't the dead. Regeneration... They weren't dead. The master said he put them in stasis. Oh. Oh, that's even worse. So, okay. So yeah. then I, thought, no, the big, then I okay. thought the big cliffhanger was going to be, oh, the doctor's got her finger on the button, mm-hmm. you know, threatening to, to destroy all of Gallifrey, to, to destroy the master and the Cybermen. I thought that's going to be the cliffhanger. But then no, then Van El comes in mm-hmm. and he's like, let me take it from you. And then he does it, which kind of felt like a bit of a cop out. So then he does it. So I'm like, okay, that's going to be the big, it's big, mm-hmm. big, big ending. But no, then there's even more mm-hmm. where the doctor g- gets stranded and, and then picked up by the judo. So I kept thinking like, okay, this would be a cool place to end it. And then there's a little denouement and then it rising action again. Mm-hmm. And then another little denouement, the rising action again. Like it kind of felt like it kept wanting to end, but then there was like a, a, a clever escape and then there was more story. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that if it had ended with the master having amassed this army and then teleporting away and the doctor's trapped there on Gallifrey, mm-hmm. unable to move, that would have been an interesting cliffhanger. The doctor with her finger on the button, having to choose between killing all of her people again or letting the master go free with their, mm-hmm. you know, cyberized bodies that would have been a cool cliffhanger her being like in a locked in a cell by the jadoon is like the least interesting iteration of all of those cliffhangers you know it's like oh she just gets out of the jail cell that's not interesting you know what i mean yeah there's no interesting conflict there or like or character drama from that Mm -hmm. because the jadoon are like they're like cartoon villains right and even if they weren't how many jail cells has the doctor gotten yeah really So I, I don't know. That that to me was like the least interesting way to end the episode. Maybe that's what sort of is coloring it a little bit in my in my, my recollection. Um, so Batwoman. So the episode, we've got a new one we haven't watched yet, but the last one was called Drink Me. This is the uh, the episode with Nocturna, who's a character that is in the comics, is like an actual vampire in the comics and had some history with, um, with Batwoman. It was I like actually, how they science explained it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't feel like you needed to do that. Certainly these shows have had 
a lot of supernatural elements in them before, like yeah. the Damien Dark and all that stuff, Rachel Ghoul. Like you didn't need Agreed. to have it just have a science Agreed. explanation. Um but yeah, it's fine that they did that. But in the in the comics, that character actually has some history with Batwoman, which you're a little aware of because it was alluded to in the Valentine's Day special we read recently, where her like seduction of Batwoman and everything was played a big role in Batwoman and Maggie Sawyer breaking off their engagement. Oh. Um, so there's a character that has some baggage with Batwoman in the comics. So it's kind of kind of appropriate that they would use her here. Um, but then, so there's some big stuff that happens here. So Sophie gets put on leave of absence from the crows, right? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. she fires up the bat signal and basically tells Batwoman, you know, I, I can't help you out anymore because I'm in enough trouble as it is. But then they kiss. So we'll see where that goes. I yeah. wonder if so- Sophie's going to, like, leave the crows permanently and help out Batwoman, mm-hmm. like, as part of her team or something. I feel like that's, that's the sort of um, predictable way that all of this goes is that eventually the entire main cast learns who the hero secret identity yeah, is well, and they all Mary become a big team. Yeah, well, Mary figured it out because she's awesome. Yeah, but she's figuring it out. I love out. Mary. Can I just tell you how much I love not only the character but the way that the actress performs this yeah, character. Yeah, she's fun. She's great. But I mean, she's so deep. She is... She's presented to us as a, a, a debutante, um, privileged um, uh, socialite who cares about her Instagram followers and whatever else. Um... And then here you have the depth and complexity of the whole doctor angle and her wanting to help people. But then you actually see that not only that is she an, a, a, a good ethical person who has her fun side, she's also clever. Thank you. Thank you for this character because this is great. This is what we need to see more of. She's wonderful. I really like her and I want her, I want her to sing her praises too. Yep. So Flash, this one was called Grod Friended Me. Um, <laughs> this one was the, uh, this is a fun episode. So Grod and Solovar are back. So we get uh, more awesome. Keith, Keith David voice in front of our. Yay. <laughs> um, actually, complete non sequitur, but they, this is going to seem like a complete non sequitur, but I promise it's relevant to what I just said. So you may or may not know that um, in the Mortal Kombat 11, Spawn is going to be a guest character in Mortal Kombat 11. I think you saw one of the early, I might have showed you one of the early trailers. But Keith David is back voicing Spawn because he voiced Spawn in the, run two seasons or three? It might have only been two. Um, HBO. Um, adult animated series like it had nudity and cursing and oh, blood wow. and everything in it because it was HBO yeah. um, but that was 20 years ago the Keith the- David voice spawned for that cartoon and they got him back for this video game so I thought awesome. that was kind of cool um, and Keith David is no stranger to animation because he was the lead in, in uh, Greg Weissman's Gargoyles series and then he's voiced other characters and you know he was in Young Justice and mm-hmm. Justice League and a bunch of stuff anyway um, so he's great he has a few lines here but it's it's fun to see interesting that they're kind of like redeeming Grodd a little bit here mm-hmm. um, Chester gets some cool moments kind of becomes part of the team there's mm-hmm. furthering the whole mystery between Nash and uh, Allegra um, the whole thing with Iris being trapped in the mirror realm there's pretty much a, a pretty um, pretty stark heel turn here on the part of uh, Ava McCulloch which the actress that plays Iris doesn't seem like she's not super consistent with how it's like sometimes it's Ava, sometimes it's Eva. I oh. feel like sometimes, yeah, like the, I don't know. She's not super consistent with it. Maybe it just depends on the, the emphasis in the given scene, but it's, I feel like they pronounce her name differently a few different times. I didn't notice that. Um, yeah, but it was a fun episode. Yeah, it was great. And of course, we're starting to see the darker uh, hints that she is more than she seems with her whole buying time and her connection to the Iris double on the other side. Yep. So that's going to be fun. So then we had a couple of episodes of Black Lightning. Mm-hmm. The um, penultimate and anti-penultimate. <laughs> that's Very the correct nice. use of the term, right? It is. Uh, episodes of the season. 
mm-hmm. uh, chapters one and two of the Book of War. Ah, oh, so good. Yeah, these were good. Um, so we got a lot more Khalil in these. I yeah. feel like that character's kind of running in place a little bit. Like, how many times are we going to have to hear about the firewall and yeah. the painkiller breaking out? And then he wrestles him back in, and now he gets out again, and now he's and now in they're talking. And... So that was interesting because I don't understand how that could be a thing. But it's well, at... n- <laughs> none of this could ever be a thing. Oh, but... sure, I understand. It's just it, it that seems... if it's a computer chip, it's a computer program. It has nothing to do with his well, identity. But, but here's the thing: it's, I think, I think it's in this whole... episode, right? I think in this episode, yeah. it's actually. Mm, uh, it's just Hinted a part of his personality. It's, part of it. yeah. it's like it's like the way the cartoons did. His two, dark self the Carfa- was tapped into the, the, by the, the cartoon. Chip. The yeah. cartoons did Two Face, where it was Big Bad Harv, who then like sort of became the dominant personality as yeah. Two Face, mm-hmm. or yep. the way Killer Frost was kind of always in in Caitlyn, exactly, and then but and later became like a distinct separate personality. And this would be good because if this if if they reach some sort of an agreement, like yeah, I feel you're like my that's where they're side, going. They exactly kind of like they going. clasp hands in a mo- in a moment of need or something, and they like fuse their personalities together. And now he's Khalil, but he's got like this darker edge, but there's not like two personalities anymore right. kind of feel as they is, both is understand the, each other and can tap into the yeah. sides of yeah we get uh, we get gravedigger's origin here as the first metahuman on earth prime yeah um, dating back to world war ii can i just tell you that monologue that he had first off i really hope that they pay that off because who was he talking to in that webcast that he was recording like the is world that gonna come i feel up? like he was recording that for posterity for for when people yeah. like after after Discover he everything. after he like destroys freeland he's going to release it on the web or something so people yeah. will understand his right. his uh motivations and and yeah and that he's actually the good guy yeah Yeah, but he that was really good really well delivered voiceover in that too um not everybody can do voiceover seriously random 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 trivia question do you remember the what what character did wayne brady provide voiceover for in the bruce tim animated universe i'll give you i'll give you a hint it was a batman beyond episode oh um Oh, now you're triggering some bells. Was he... It was a superhero. It was a superhero? Yeah. Then I have no idea. It was Micron, the future Atom analog in the Justice League Unlimited, the future Justice League two-parter, you know, with Christopher McDonald, the Superman, and Warhawk, and the Cairo Green Lantern, and Aqua Girl, and Barda, and all those characters. Nope, I don't you remember. Remember Micron? No. He was he was uh, he could get super big as well as super small, and it was his injury at the beginning of the episode trying to stop a runaway train that ended up exploding mm. that led to Superman suspecting there was a traitor in the team and bringing Terry in. Do you remember all this whole setup? No. Oh wow, we've we only need seen to it rewatch once. it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, he was good in that too, but he only had like two lines in that episode. It's a bit of a waste of Still, rain Brady. Yeah. Um, yeah, but this was good. And it actually kind of makes sense that, and so we learn here that Jefferson is related to this guy. Mm-hmm. It actually makes a, a certain amount of sense because um, before the crisis, you kind of got the sense that, and there were some retcons and some stuff later, but like Barry was kind of like the first metahuman, you could kind of say, or one of the first, like later, like, right. oh, old Killer Frost was a personality inside Caitlin all the time, but then it was kind of like artificially induced by her father, and does that really right. count? Right, and he's a cryogenics but, expert, so he, but, you know, could do that without killing her. Yeah. But now with the Earths merged, Jefferson's career as Black Lightning predates Barry becoming the Flash by over a decade. That's so true. He, so, so you kind of, you don't need a reason why he's the first metahuman. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he's related to the first metahuman provides an explanation for why he would have been an active metahuman out there in the world long before the sort of metahuman boom that coincided, mm-hmm. no pun intended, that coincided with the particle accelerator mm-hmm. explosion. Mm-hmm. So it actually kind of works elegantly for that reason, too. Um, yeah, it's cool. And it, it sets them up as like, you know, two sides of a coin so they when they have to fight I also the appreciate end. the fact that you, we were talking about this off mic how before um, 
why are they the only stable medicine in all of this city that has a whole bunch of medicine in them? Because we hear about the pod kids, the pod kids, the pod kids, and we need to stabilize the pod kids, and Markovia has problems stabilizing their pod kids, but that's because their science is not Dr. Harrison Wells' science with the particle accelerator exploding. Well, I think it's just that, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of different ways you could explain. There's yeah. a lot of different ways in which you could either, like, be an be a metahuman that's created artificially, mm-hmm. or if you already have the metagene that you get active, there's probably ways in which you could get activated that are more or less stable or permanent than others. Right. Or if you're a Kryptonian, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, so you know, if you've got like a latent metagene and you get activated by green light, that could, you know, that could be eventually harmful to you or toxic or whatever. But yeah. if you're if you're imbued by the speed force, then that's right. maybe not quite so bad for you, you know? So there's so right. many different ways that your metagene can be activated. So I never really needed an explanation for that. It's And even even though later, don't, didn't we discover that Jefferson's powers were activated by green light also? Did we discover that at some point? I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. Um, but because, but I guess because his, he came from like a, this is, I don't know, going to start to sound oh, kind God, of, no. well, he comes from like a pure metahuman bloodline. I don't know how else you I knew you'd use it. that word. Um, that his, his powers are more stable then I don't know. I mean, I didn't need an explanation for just that. It's don't just don't throw like, in genetic superiority. Well, I didn't need this. it, but I'm saying I didn't need an explanation for that. Like right. some people, you know, their their genetic makeup might be more, you know, per- permissive, more conducive to, to stable metahuman powers than others, you know? like, And it probably depends on your power set too. Like maybe Barry's powers would be killing him if it weren't for the fact that speed forces, the speed force is like constantly energizing him and healing him or whatever, right? Yeah. Like maybe Jefferson's powers would be killing him if it weren't the for the fact that the electricity is like constantly, you know, charging him up or whatever. Who knows, right? Yeah. Um, Here's a question. Do you think we're going to discover that Brandon, Brandon or Branson? I can't remember the kid's name. Um, Brandon, Charles, I think. Charles Bronson. Ha, 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 ha. Um, the one who has it in for uh, it's Dr. Jace Brandon. Okay, good. Um, do you think we're going to discover that he's actually the Prince of Markovia? Well, this was my speculation because they, we discovered that he's got this tragic backstory where his parents tried to get him out of Markovia and Dr. Jace was there and Dr. Jace killed his mother, but she makes it sound like she she did it like for his own good or something. Like she's got some... Well, some... he was in utero at the time. Yeah, so I don't she quite know She tried to that... deliver him and she died Is in childhood, what happened? I, I don't think. Um, but there was something going on there. So I, And so you see someone coming out of that was born or perhaps at least conceived in Markovia and has earth-based powers, I immediately think they might be related to Geoforce and Terra. So mm-hmm. it could just be that he's this show's version of Geoforce or it could be that, that Brion Markov literally exists in this world. We know that he was hinted at because we uh, we talked about a few weeks ago when they were bringing up their little rap sheet on Markovia. It yeah. said rulers Markov family. So we know that at least they, that family exists here. Don't he's, forget though he's a pod kid. Because he came out of the pod. He didn't come out of nowhere. He didn't come out of thin air. He's one of the pod kids that needed to be stabilized. Yeah, so maybe remember? Geoforce is older so, here or something. A, um, yeah, but his dad, he might not have a, a way to connect with his dad anymore because 30 years have passed. Well, yeah, or, or the, the show's version of Brian Markov could be 50 years old or something. You know, he could be like an aged ruler and this guy is his, you know, long lost son from 30 years ago or something like that, right? Mm, yeah. Maybe. Or even older, I guess he'd have to be because he was a teenager when he was put in stasis so he would have needed so he, to be conceived like 40 or 45 years right, ago or something yeah. right so he has a half sister or he could or he could just be this show's version of geoforce yeah. right and they don't need to say he's related to anybody else and that this is just a way of tying the they show's were version hinting, of Ge- though because he was uh, thinking of co- cool code names for himself and he started doing geo and somebody interrupted him. sure i mean this could just be their way of if he's going to be the show's version of geoforce they want to tie him to markovia a little bit because that's the way it was in the comics it doesn't yeah. mean that he comes from somebody important in markovia he could be the important person from markovia, from markovia. they need to, to make him from markovia because he's going to be geoforce fair um 
Yeah, no, these were good. I'm looking forward to the finale. I know, uh, me in too, a couple of very days. much. This show is great. This show is wonderful. So Legends of Tomorrow, this one's called Mortal Kombat. This is the <laughs> one with uh, Genghis Khan. It's like a, a send-up of 80s action movies, right? Like uh, especially John Woo movies. <laughs> Um, so Genghis Khan is riding around on motorcycles and there's a dove that flies up in slow motion for no reason. <laughs> Everybody's firing guns out of both hands and flipping around and jumping. This is the one that Katie Lotz directed, right? Oh, yeah. This was, yeah. This was really well directed. Like those action scenes are not easy to direct, especially no. for a first time director. I don't yeah. think she's ever directed anything before. I mean, maybe she directed like some Arrow episode or something, but I don't think so. I think this, I think this is her first time directing something. So... We'll, pretty we'll have to look that up on pretty IMDb. Impressive. Either way, like whether or not it's her first time in the chair, like I, I doubt that because um, even short films count towards building experience. But well, a lot of times when a TV, like I just know from like from these shows and from Star Trek stuff and so on, like a lot of times these actors are given their first shot to direct on these shows. Yeah, like Jonathan yeah, Frakes, LeVar Burton. None of these people had any directing experience before they came up through, you know, the the, par- the Paramount Director School, school yeah, yeah, or whatever the there, where school. they sort of shadow director around for a few months and they're, you know, given stuff to read and they do all this stuff and then they direct. And so I imagine there's something similar here because a lot of these actors, like we talked just like last year, Katie Cassidy <laughs> did one. Um, I don't re- recall if Stephen Mel's ever done one. I think David Ramsey has done at least a, at least a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tom Cavanaugh has done a couple, I think. Um, didn't... Um, uh, Danielle Panabaker did one too, didn't yeah, she? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, and Melissa did. Did Melissa Benoist do one a couple couple of uh, months ago? Or am I or am I thinking? Or am I, I don't know. Yeah, if she I'm not sure. I'm not, don't recall if anybody from Supergirl's done one, but but yeah, no, it's not un, it's not did uncommon. She? I, that's ringing I could about. be wrong, but you yeah, know, no, it's it's not uncommon for these shows to to give mm-hmm. uh, an actor their first time, their first shot at directing. So just what, because they do a really right. good job doesn't mean that they've done it before. It just might mean that they're a natural, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was really good. And so, and we get a, some more information here about Charlie, that she's like one of the fates from Greek mythology. <laughs> she's got this loom mm-hmm. um, that Constantine needs to uh, sort of like rewrite her, um, the fate of Astra and her family so that she doesn't end up getting sent to hell. Yep. Um, yeah, so some interesting stuff going on here. We don't really get any more forward motion on the whole. Oh, I guess we can do a little bit that Ray's planning on asking Nora to marry him. Yeah. So presumably they're going to like get engaged or get married and then you know, mm-hmm. go off to their happy ending or something in a couple of weeks. But still, um, we got reconnected with Marie Antoinette. So yeah, she's, she's still in the holding cell. Yeah. Which, interesting, and might pay- have a payoff, um, well, they which we they, didn't expect. They have most everybody there, right? Like, they've also got uh, they've also got those jars of... Uh, yeah, Rasputin. <laughs> Rasputin in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was good. So, uh, The Clone Wars, we've got two episodes, The Distant Echo and On the Wings of Kiridax. Mm-hmm. So these these were good. I enjoyed these more than the premiere just because, you know, once, once Anakin gets involved... Um, it's more interesting to me than just like a bunch of clones on oh, an adventure. Okay, I guess. Um, they had they had some interesting scenes here. Like he he's got a like he like skypes Padme. Yeah. Um, which is fun because and I suspected this when I saw the scene and I was right, which is that because these story arcs weren't conceived as being part of any sort of final season. Right. Just just due to random chance, Padme wasn't going to be in. Right. These three arcs that were that are now going to be the final season, but she's been such a big part of the show that they didn't want to leave the actress out entirely or the right. character. Mm-hmm. So they wrote and and did this one little scene for this episode. It's probably the only time we're going to see her, but we see she's ever so slightly pregnant. Mm-hmm. Anakin is really dense, or he's not looking at her from the same side angle that we are, <laughs> so he doesn't notice because, of course, they have to preserve continuity. He didn't find out that she was pregnant until the beginning of episode three, but we're getting really close to that now. Like yeah, we're probably yeah. like only weeks away from Order sixty six and. The fall of the Republic and the massacre of the Jedi and everything. So, yeah, um, yeah, and these are fun. It's fun, it's fun to see the, the 
the clones but in action with Anakin too, and because he, we still get to see how much um, they mean to each other, but also how much influence she has over him and how much of a moral compass she. Well, is they talked him. about this on like the behind the scenes stuff, yeah. but yeah, like the, the the it shows that their relationship, which is dysfunctional in some ways, but really strong in other ways, mm-hmm. like um, that he trusts her her advice above pretty much anybody's yeah. like she can counsel him in ways that nobody else can and she can say things to him that he wouldn't really listen to from anybody else because he's so headstrong and everything yeah. that she knows exactly how to talk to him and yeah no it's it's really good and i feel like you know this has been said a million times but the show is done you can't even you could you can't even calculate how much this show is done to rehabilitate the this that relationship and these versions of these characters that were only in the three mm-hmm. prequel movies yeah like how many people were because you know the love story in, in episode two would just made everybody pretty much everybody roll their eyes like in terms of how how corny the dialogue was yeah. and, and how how wooden some of the performances were not the actor's fault it was just mm-hmm. the way it was written and directed mm-hmm. um but then you get and, and people are like oh this clone army and they're all the same i don't know how i feel about that but then this show like fleshed out the clones made anakin a likable heroic mm-hmm. character which he which he wasn't really in the prequels first he was annoying an annoying kid and then he was a whiny adult who massacred sand people right yeah and, ne- and didn't listen to anybody and disobeyed orders all the time mm-hmm. but this show made him into like this show rehabilitated him to the point where now when like obi-wan talks about him fondly yeah in episode four like he was a good friend he mm-hmm. was a great pilot and so on, you you buy that he would have all these fond memories of him because yeah. he's actually like a likable heroic character here and you can still see his flaws they don't gloss over them you know right all the flaws that lead to his downfall are there and they've been built on for these seven seasons, but mm-hmm. you like him a lot more and Padme's been flashed out a lot, fleshed out a, lot, out a lot more here. The clones yeah. obviously get a lot more. You get to see a lot of Anakin and Obi-Wan's friendship, yep. which was sort of ham-fistedly, you yeah, know, yeah. just explaining oh, dialogue. Yeah. Like, oh, they're great friends. You know, like, we never really see that. Yeah, they're they just s- arguing all the time. All you know the what time, I mean? yes. Not to mention giving us characters like Ahsoka and Ventress and so oh, on like man. that, but... Um, bring Maul back, giving us Savage Opress yeah, and other it, characters like everybody, that. Everybody, if you haven't seen this, a um, couple days as we record, a couple days ago um, was International Women's Day and they put t- together a really cool reel of Star Wars women throughout the Star Wars universe and from our universe to yours, you know, happy International Women's Day. But go find this trailer because it's, I mean, it, it feels like a trailer, it, like it has slow moments. It's not a trailer for anything per se. It's just a... a I don't know. It's just cut together. If like a gender what? could have a trailer. If a gender could have a trailer, this would be it. Yeah, for Star Wars. Um, but seriously, go find it because it has a lot of really great moments from a lot of women characters. And I remembered um, all those scenes with v- um, Vasage Ventress. Uh, uh, how do you say her name? Asajj Ventress. Asajj Ventress, yeah. Um, Ahsoka, Mon Mothma, Jim Urso. Yeah, yeah. All, um, all these fantastic... Did you say Jim Urso? <laughs> no, I hope not. That's Jin Urso's. <laughs> no, it's just I'm nasally everybody. I'm sorry. Urso's wild brother. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's that's her uncle, um, Jim and Jin. And yeah. Padme, Leia. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like all these all these um, moments that you're talking. What's about. her face from Solo? But yeah, if you want to go see them Solo. compiled in one epic Ray trailer, then yeah, Rose. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a, a wonderful. I one of, I don't know, we call it a mural almost that someone did of like every female character in Star Wars from like the going back to like the expanded universe books to the current canon every literally hundreds of characters like remember me showing you that that some piece someone had done um start like every character oh, yeah. there was ever in Star Trek the Star next Trek, generation yeah, I and remember. there were like hundreds of characters there were like hundreds of characters mm-hmm. there it's like that but all the women in Star Wars wow. all done in like this wonderful sort of cartoony style but like the most prominent ones were in the front that you would mm-hmm. expect 
It was really nice. And, and, and I want to go see. I should dig that. I want to go see that. Yeah. I only recognize if this was like Star Trek characters, I'd recognize them all. But Star Wars characters, if, unless they've been in a movie or a TV show or maybe some of the comics, mm-hmm. I wouldn't really recognize them. So right. I was like, oh, there's some Jedi in the name, back. I'm yeah. like, okay. Um, yeah, but these were good. So the one more episode in this arc, and then we get into the two that I think people are probably looking forward to most, which is the quote unquote Ahsoka's walkabout arc, and then oh. the Siege of Mandalore. Oh. So I think people are mostly looking forward to those. Although I know there's a lot of people that are huge fans of the the clone arcs in the show but as we said last week i really i've enjoyed the arcs that focus more on like the jedi characters and so on like right. even the politics stuff more than like just because the clones i have trouble sometimes telling them apart um so star trek picard so we have two episodes of the impossible box and nepenthe so the oh. impossible box is where they actually get to the board cube they rescue yep. dodge there's a lot of big things that happen here soji and then, um, yes, so they definitely right. didn't, they didn't rescue Dodge. Dodge. No, Dodge is dead. Yeah. Um, as Picard rather bluntly yeah. <laughs> informs her. And then Nepenthe is the one that takes place on Nepenthe and is the big you know episode that everybody's been waiting for where Riker and Troy mm-hmm. come back and Picard hangs out with them for a while. Um, <laughs> it was yeah, nice so, to have a slow moment for everybody. Yeah, to sort this of is really like stru- structurally the series really breaks, breaks down nicely into three acts. So yeah. you have the three, the three episodes at the beginning where they that, that end with them leaving Earth. Then you have the three episodes that end with um, the impossible box, which is like getting to and rescuing Soji from the Borg cube. Right. And then you have this episode, which really feels like... And don't forget br- that it also lined up with her being activated and her right. already well, asking the All that stuff. But yeah. the, like the, the search for and then the escape from the Borg cube. Mm-hmm. And then, um, then you get this one, which is kind of like an interlude. And then there's three left, which are going to be like finding Soji's home planet, I suppose, and mm-hmm. stopping whatever this Romulan plot is, right? Mm-hmm. So it really breaks down nicely into three three acts like that. Um, so so Nepenthe is kind of a breather. But yes, the the way that so, Soji is activated by Narek and that sort of like meditation mm-hmm. path thing that he, that he had was really interesting. Um, the idea that Romulans have like secret name, like, you know, the show is really delighted in fleshing out the Romulan culture in a way that I would say probably only the... Klingon culture and maybe to a s- certain extent maybe like the Ferengi and Cardassian culture. I was about cultures. to say Ferengi. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, you get a feel for um, some of these cultures but yeah they've and definitely the, and the I suppose the Dominion cult, like Deep Space Nine was really the but like like um, Next Gen fleshed out the, the Klingons quite a bit but then yeah. and introduced a lot of these races like the Bajorans the Cardassians mm-hmm. the Ferengi but Deep Space Nine really did all the legwork fleshing out the multiple races of the Dominion, right? Mm-hmm. The Jem'Hadar, the Founders, the the Vorta. And then you had the fleshing out of the Cardassians, the Bajorans, the Ferengi, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So they really did a lot of that, a little of that work there. And Voyager did a little bit to flesh out the Borg, but they always kind of remain sort of monocultural anyway. So anyway, um, but this show has been like a lot of stuff like, oh, all the Romulans know you sort of, you always go in the back door and they, they don't believe in myths. It's just news, right? Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. Have a sec- they have a, a their name, they, they have their public name, they have a family name, and then they have a secret name. Mm-hmm. They have this sort of, a meditation ritual where they go on this winding path, like a lot of little interesting color that's being added to their added to their culture. Um, yeah, so Narek activates her. It's clearly tearing him up at least a little bit because he's like crying as she's you know mm-hmm. dying in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he really did share his real name with her. Um, I think he really did love her. I guess he figured there's he probably would have figured there's no reason not to right because she's going to be dead in five exactly. minutes anyway, right? Yeah. Um, I think honestly, I think that his sister is going to ask him why he did that. Like you, you didn't. I have don't know to. if the cameras were on in that. Well, I guess they were. No, because they she was were. Watching she was listening. Yeah, because yeah. she immediately got well the done, information brother. about the no, planets. Yeah. Else. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe. I bet it could have been just the same. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's just one, one more way of earning her trust the yeah. last little bit before mm-hmm. asking her to do this weird thing, right? 
Um, but that whole thing where she was recalling something which wasn't really a memory but kind of was, but as sort of half a dream, that whole thing was really interestingly done. Um, Picard and Hugh's reunion and their mm-hmm. hug, which was mm-hmm. improvised on set because the actors just felt like it's what they would do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later we get Hugh's death, of course, which is really tragic. Yeah. And they've said, you know, you may or may not have seen the last of Hugh as a character, but I feel like that's kind of in the same way that even when a Star Trek character dies, you can see them in like right, Data, dreams or flashbacks yeah. or alternate universes mm-hmm. or whatever, right? But I think that's the death of like Hugh as we know him. Yeah, well. Um, which is sad, but it's not like he's like some major super important character. He's like a fan favorite minor character. He was in two episodes, right? And now he was in two or three more now. So it's not, yeah, you know but, what I mean? It's not but like he left such an It's not like they killed impression. off Troy or something, you know yeah. what I mean? Like people would be marching on, on the CBS offices with pitchforks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, um, Elnor is, um, is left. Oh, by the way. Um, <laughs> so people have been calling Elnor like Space Legolas, right? Uh-huh. Did you know that oh, – do, do you do you listen to the same podcast I did Yeah. Now? I shouldn't – see, the problem is all of my secret <laughs> – all of my behind-the-scenes information you know already. Well, just share with the rest well, of the Well, Elnor is, is elvish, like the actual language from Lord yes. of the Rings for what would roughly translate as Star Trek. <laughs> so he's literally like – Starwalk. He's literally like the Star like Trek Starwalk, elf. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's amazing. So it's he, beautiful, though. So Hugh dies, and then and then Elnor uh, whips out the little chit that um, that Seven gave Picard that will yeah. summon her. But see, that's the thing, though. I, don't I know didn't why really he like had it, or why it was like hanging on a thing. It was there. hanging. It was on supposed a thing. to be the it same one, though. Kind of so weird, but yeah. I don't know why it was there. It seemed like that was kind of like staged. I often, feel like but. they could have done a better job with that. Like I actually had a little refrigerator moment where I was thinking, how cool would it have been if Picard surreptitiously placed it on Elnor at some point during the kerfuffle, just knowing that he might need to well, do. He must like, have, though, right? Yeah, he must have, right? But he didn't. But we didn't. But see then that. why again was it hanging there? What if he were just uh, same scene? different play out like a little tiny tidbit moment where he's you know huddled up as he was in the thing but he notices like a bump in his clothing and he pulls this thing out and then he realizes that a hug or he gets shot Picard by a romulan but it hits him in the exact spot and he pulls this thing out and yeah and the little chit saved his life i'm just saying i don't know um yeah, and so we get so also on the on it didn't the, read well in this on the La Serena we get a lot more drama, right? Yep. So uh, mm-hmm. so Agnes is undergoing sort of a dark a night breakdown. of the soul. Yeah, <laughs> everything from re- so much nausea in this, yeah. a lot of vomiting in this mm-hmm. show. Yeah, well, um, just two instances. So so yeah. on the Vulcan Hello podcast, they were speculating because at first I'm like, so 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 Commodore O, who I guess must be a Vulcan because Romulans can't mind meld, at uh, least so far as we've seen. They? Well, that would be new. So at this point, I'm going with the fact that she's a, she's a Vulcan. Um, why she needs sunglasses, we don't know. Maybe it's just so she looks cool. Um, mind melds with, with Agnes and gives her like this vision, like this, this apocalyptic vision, which is like what would happen unless we stop the sins. Right. And then she's like, she's immediately not, not like on board, on board. Like she's not gung-ho to do this, to like kill Bruce Maddox and everything, but she's willing to go along with it. And I'm like... You spent your whole life, you know, working on synths and believing that the synth ban was wrong and all this stuff. And you, you see one love, propaganda you video. Yeah, you're showing like one flash of like a planet exploding. Mm-hmm. You're suddenly on board. But I think they're right. It's probably that we were just getting the Cliff Notes version. But yeah. there was like a massive info dump into her brain that we're not privy to yet. Yeah, and we'll yeah. see more about later. Because there had to have been more than that. Because that yeah. could have been manufactured. And even if it wasn't, it's like, okay, so like explosions and people dying. Like mm-hmm. that doesn't prove anything. Like mm-hmm. that wouldn't force you to completely reconsider your life choices and murder the man. And you love and all this other stuff. So there must but be more. But this was all footage from Mars. Did you notice? 
Well, I, I'm not I don't sure know why none of, of the shows was. that we were listening to, but most of it was, though. I mean, they were obviously there were some projections and planet things that we didn't see. Like there's this green planet instead of Mars well, being a red planet and everything else. But the guy blowing been... out his brains, that was the that was, the, yeah, I believe his number was eight or something. Um, the droid who started the thing and shot everybody in the room and, and then shot himself and everything else like that was him. That was the shot that they used for that. The the, the explosions on Mars were heavily prevalent. Yeah, but in she, that knows that that, she knows that that happened that already. Like, that's not yeah, new that's information for her. That's why I think. That no, some of it, it's not new information, but it's a wholly different thing to I don't know. feel part of that moment. I don't think that would make you completely turn on everybody you love and destroy your life's work and everything just because you're like, oh, I knew that since murdered people. But seeing it happen is like, I don't know. I agree. That. So that's why I think that there must have been some other element there, like maybe the secret, the dark secret of why Romulans hate synths or something must have been in there somewhere. And so that, and maybe that, that's such a big deal that we don't know yet. That yeah. it, maybe, who knows? Or I'm about it could to have been blow all your mind. Or, the, or there's also speculation that she might have like put some sort of mind whammy on her. Like yeah. she might have implanted some sort of suggestion that, that's sort of kind of forcing her to do these Romulans things. Romulans are based on lies, right? So, I mean, the, the Romulan culture heavily values them because deception means that nobody can come close enough to hurt you and you have secrets to be able to defend yourself and all sorts of justifications for the sheer amount of fibbery going on in the Romulan culture. But um, what if Commander O is, she's pretending to be Vulcan. So that I have two th- two theories, two, two hypotheses um, um, as she's to why. She's actually a Vulcan and a Romulan standing on top of each other. No, she's actually half Romulan, half Vulcan. Because you remember, there were multiple attempts. This is in the canon. There were multiple attempts of the Vulcans trying to rejoin with well, sure. the Vul- reunification. And, yeah, yeah, and everything. But what if she's a child of that sort of ideal, but she Vulcan? went completely, like she was ex- yeah. recruited by the extremists. Certainly, so she has the power. Certainly, so she certainly half so, Vulcans can so, mind meld, because Spock did so, it all the time. So. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah, exactly. So um, she yeah. needs the sunglasses, but she still can mind melt. She only got she only got the secret inner the secret inner eyelids on one eye. So rather than walking around with an eye patch, <laughs> right. she just wears it. She just them, wears it, yeah, yeah, exactly. But, it's recessive trait. But here's my other hypothesis is that all Romulans actually possess this power because they are genetically similar yeah, to I think that might be and, where they're going. Yeah. And uh, nobody ever just talks about it. And not only that, but well, this this was a this is this is really, really a key to her character is that that was not a consensual mind meld. Sure. And everybody I agree has with been that. mentioning about this, but this is a this is a violation. No Vulcan. Yeah. It's like, with that jerk, that. it's like what that jerk did to, to Paul on that one time on Enterprise. But um, yeah, I, I'm more inclined to think that she's a Romulan. Um, it, and whether all I don't so I don't think that all Romulans like secretly know that they're capable of mind mails, but just don't tell anybody. Right. I think that might I mean, be a bridge too far. I think it's that certain Romulans, maybe in the dot Vosh or whatever it is, like the the most secret, most well trained, most well informed Romulans have managed to. Maybe it's only a select few among them, like certain families or more, yeah, like more or less. I mean, it was have been, have been able to train really hard and bring that skill out in themselves. If you reach right? back into Enterprise, and this is really getting into the geeky weebs, but you. You, you brought it up when you brought up to Paul. Like at the time that Enterprise was taking place, not all Vulcans could mind well, meld. No, it was a true. very taboo. That was the thing. that was the revelation later that 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 it was the heritage of all Vulcans to be able to do it, but it had been suppressed and stigmatized. Yes. because it was associated with this analog for HIV exactly. that they had going on. But then the Great Awakening that happens because of Archer and hit the. Kirshara or whatever yeah. is that they all discover the that true Vulcan all... teachings and they all can do it. And by the time you get a hundred years later, they can all do it. 
Right. So so they all had that ability, and and so I think well, that's that, what I'm telling you. I think with the Romulans, that societally, it was. I think suppressed. though with the Romulans, I think if if she is actually a Romulan, I think they're going to say that it's been so long. Who knows how long? Thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years, mm-hmm. even since um, I don't know how long Vulcans are supposed to have had interstellar travel. Um, since those two races diverged, that the that the genetic ability has been largely lost in the Romulan population, with the exception of a select few, and maybe those select few are like you know like like. Like, like unicorns. Well, no, it's maybe it's like with the empire. Like they sent, they sent oh. out their Dodvash inquisitors to collect <laughs> the children that have the ability to mind meld, to and, they, and they inculcate them. them and recruit them into their secret. Because how powerful a skill would I that know. be, right? Yeah. So maybe that's where they're going to go with this. That that makes more sense to me than just mm-hmm. oh, she's you know she's a Vulcan and and you know she's evil and betrayed her people, which wouldn't be unprecedented. There's been Vulcan traitors before, sure, uh, like in Star Trek Six, but I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure they would do that. Um, but the stuff with uh, Riker and Troy is really great. So one of the things they said they wanted to do, I just read like a whole like 15-minute interview with Michael Chabon today where he's talking about, you know, how they approach this. And he's like, it would be easy to just have everybody. And, you know, it's the same thing they wanted to do with Picard. And Patrick Stewart was very adamant. He didn't just want to do Next Gen again, right? He wanted this character to have lived those years and be in a different place now than he was yet, right. then. So it would have been very easy for Picard to like, Go visit his old friends in Starfleet, and Riker's still captain of the Titan, and yep. you know, and maybe they've got a kid who's in Starfleet Academy, and right. they're and they're still having their advantages. Like, oh, it's Riker and Troy, just like you remember them. That would have been really easy, and it would have been like exciting for the fans to a certain degree, but it's that's the easy way to go, you know. Instead, you have them like it's been almost twenty years, and they've gone through a lot of stuff, right? They're not in the same place, they're not the same people anymore, you right, know. Right. Like, so we get we gradually over the course of this episode, we piece it together that. They start, so Riker and Troy at the end of Nemesis, you know, they went off to be, be on the Titan. Mm-hmm. Um, they started a family there. They had their first their first child, Thad, mm-hmm. um, who was like this, this wonderful uh, artistic kid who mm-hmm. like invented 12... Languages, imaginary languages. Yeah. Twelve, the twelve that could be spoken because the the 13th was just a language. No, it's the other way. Eleven, yeah. twelve if the you count the, the language but of the only butterflies. Had wing flaps, wing right? Yeah. Um, Aww. who's just this really sweet kid that everybody loved, but he got, and I guess probably around the same time, they had their daughter, mm-hmm. uh, Kestra, who's named after Deanna's uh, late yeah. sister, who who she didn't even know existed until that episode of yeah. Next Gen Dark Page. Um, but Thad got sick with this incredibly virus. rare silicon-based virus. Um, the only known treatment would have required... A positronic um, brain matrix. Would, would, a positronic what? Brand matrix? What yeah, did you well, say? I'm sorry. I would lisped. It, like incub- incubating the cure in a positronic matrix, which yep. the main reason why you would create a positronic matrix aside from this would be to create like a Soong type android. Yep. And since that research was banned, so you get the sense that there were like positronic matrices being used for a bunch of different things yeah. before the ban. Yeah. But much like you banned... That was still as primitive as they were because everybody, including Bruce Maddox, was trying to recreate data. But they had gotten far enough to sort of prototype what soon did. They were... So they knew that he operated on a positronic matrix. And they, they successfully recreated some sort of dummy version of it. I mean... um, but they were not able to make it as sophisticated as right, data. We don't that really know a really lot of the history point. of but anyway. positronic. Like, for all we knew, the Federation had had like rudimentary positronic well, that's what I'm matrices saying. going for, but for for years, but even before they discovered data. But data was his pod- positronic brain was so far well, advanced. Uh, yeah. So, 
But what I'm saying is it's it's an interesting and it's sort of it's again, it's analogy to like the way that science is sometimes curtailed mm-hmm. by government policies in the present day. Yep. There's a lot of potential uses for positronic technology, yeah. including disease prevention. Yeah. But when you ban when you like across the board ban all research into a certain area, you don't you're not just banning the thing that you're trying to stop. You're banning a lot of other things, including yeah. medicine, including research, including right all these other things. And so that's you know. Yeah. And so in it's, it's so it's such an, an element of tragedy that in losing data, yeah, they lost they they started a chain of events that led to them losing their son too. That that the data if he'd still been alive yeah. or if, if things had gone differently with him or with B4 or whatever, they could have saved their son possibly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's really sad. But they retire from Star- they they leave Starfleet to bring Thad to this planet, Nepenthe, yep. because it has this regenerative properties. Mm-hmm. Maybe kind of like the planet in Insurrection, where everybody stayed really young forever. Maybe it's kind of like that. Heck, A little they should have taken him to that planet. I know. <laughs> um, so of course for the Briar Patch, but um, <laughs> but uh, let's hope F. F. Marie Abraham is is no longer mad at us. Yeah. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so they bring him there, but it wasn't enough. And so he dies, and it's left like this hole in this family. Like, like yeah. Kestra misses him, his, you know, his parents. Like, they're still the same people, but there's like this, you know, you can tell this thing sadness, is weighing on them, yeah. right? Uh, but they stay there because, and it's so sweet, they stay there n- not because they they don't want to go. But I mean, there's, it, there's a lot of stuff going on. Like, there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of stuff. But a lot, like, this was Thad, because he was born on the Titan and grew up there, he, 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 never, he never really had, had a home a planet, world. which is why yeah. he had to invent all these languages, because he never had a planet to call his home. Mm-hmm. But when they went there for his treatment, that mm-hmm. became his home world. Mm-hmm. And he died there. And, like, that's that's their son's home. They can't bear to leave it. You know yeah, what I mean? Because yeah. if they leave there, they'll have lost the last part they have of him, right? Yeah. And Troy goes in to his room, and all of his stuff is still there. We we don't quite know what we're seeing at first no. because we don't know, you know that what, story. But the, you know little, what? the no. little way she has the to steal pause. herself before she opens the, the door. The pause before yeah. she opened the door. That tipped me off. I said, oh, is no. this is this?" And then nothing in the room was changed. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's like, yeah. Is this Marina Sirtis's best performance as Troy? I think so. I'm trying yeah, to think I of really what do. else... Would, I mean, she's had a lot of playing a lot of other shit, like the one where she had to she had to like uh, pass herself off as a Romulan commander in the Tal Shiar. That, that was interesting. Great. That was great. But, uh, but I mean, it's, but that was like a different category. It's sure. like you're playing. <laughs> well, the, it's the like episode, you're playing stickball versus professional major. Well, the episodes baseball. with her like and this. her mother were all great. But the one dark page where she discovered she had a sister was was really was powerful for good, her yeah. too. But that was almost more of like a Major Barrett spotlight. It than was, it was yeah. a Marina Sirta spotlight. Um, I mean, she had great moments in, in the movies, too. Like, she had some funny stuff in First Contact. She's and, done really, really amazing but, work with but, everything I mean, You know, much been has been said and much has been written this... about the fact that Marina Sirtis and Gates McFadden weren't given the most to play on, on that show. And I it's hope just, they made up for here. <laughs> right. So, but but it's, it, I feel like she's showing, like, she always had, and, you know, she's got 20 years more experience yeah. as an actress also, but... Um, but yeah, like she she knocked it out of the park, and yeah. and Jonathan Frakes was fantastic too. Still, still the same guy, but like even more like cuddly kind of. Yeah, you know what I mean? Cause I think he, so. Because he always had <laughs> he he became such a such a warm, friendly character over the course of that show, but he still had was operating in a professional pseudo military environment. And as yep. much as as much as he respected and cared about Picard, he was still his first officer right yeah. and there was there's sort of like a dividing line there like like leo and president bartlett right like they're best friends they're brothers mm-hmm. but leo when still they're treats, talking business still he says it's mr. Him as president, mr president and right and there's a, all, there's yeah. there's a, a professional distance here that you that you create because it could lead to too many problems otherwise right, right? but here he just gets to be his friend he just gets to be his brother exactly. right and it's it's really there's, there's a warmth there 
that they never and really got to exhibit. And there's even a more openness too. Yeah, like with the conversation they had about, um, yeah, oh man, Riker. And, and the Riker fact that they offer, they're, they're equals now too, mm-hmm. though, right? Like Riker can offer him, can 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 tell him what he's been doing wrong, mm-hmm. right? And can give him advice in a way that he doesn't have to say permission to speak freely anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Picard is much more, in his older age, is much more open now about the mistakes he feels like he's yeah. made. He's more receptive to this kind of advice. Yeah. Whereas before... It's, it's almost as if he got older and he's even more ca- capable of more growth. Well, he's gotten... He, I mean, and it's always been there. That's always... Mm-hmm. That's been one of his arcs. Like, yeah. it's, it's right there from the very first episode in Encounter at Farpoint, where he's such this cold, distant care, doesn't like kids, doesn't want new officers, all mm-hmm. this other stuff, doesn't want Wesley on his bridge, to the, to the end of All Good Things, where he sits down at that poker table for the first time and says, I should have done this a long time ago yeah. one of his arcs has been about him opening himself up yep. to to other people mm-hmm. and sharing himself with them and being a more open person and not just this distant authority figure yeah and much as we were talking about with Riker and Troy how they live those 20 years Picard lived those 20 years too like mm-hmm. the ways in which he is more like Patrick Stewart than classic Picard can be a little jarring at times but I feel like it's a natural extrapolation if he continued on that arc Despite all the fact that all the things that, he, that have been weighing on him for the past 20 years, like the synths and Mars and the Romulan evacuation, all that stuff, Data's death, you know, he has become more reflective, more introspective, more empathetic, Yeah. you know, but he still is really bad at a lot of interpersonal stuff. Like he does not know how to talk to Soji, right? Yeah. Doesn't know how to break the news to her that she's an android, doesn't know how to break the news to her that she's her sister is dead. Yeah. Doesn't know how to get her to open up to him to treat her. He, he's he's trying to like he's not giving her orders, but he's treating her like he's part of her crew. And she's right. not. Like she's not she's not his crew member. She's not his daughter. She's not she's his friend. She's in no yet, way you know? beholden to him and she yeah. has no reason to, to trust him. Yeah. And then and then Kestra is a wonderful new character too. And that, oh, that young actress so is so good. But it's like if you if you ask me to picture what Riker and Troy's daughter would be, I would kind of picture like, like, you know, an attractive young Starfleet officer, you Mm -hmm. know, like, you know, got, got like, maybe has some of Riker's swagger and confidence, has Troy's empathy, um, you know, like a brunette, like kind of like looking like, like if you would emerge the two of them together and like, oh, she'd probably be in Starfleet Academy. And like, that's kind of what I would picture. But this like, like, (laughs) like, I don't know, like woodland elf character. She's you know what great. I mean? But she's like a tomboy, yeah. and, but she's really smart and she's really empathetic. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she's really sweet. Um, and she misses her brother, but she's like really good to her parents. And she's, she's you know, speaks these invented languages mm-hmm. too. Like she kind of embellished on, but because it's like what her brother left her. And, yeah. But like this, this elf maiden basically is yeah. not what I would have pictured but I also wouldn't have pictured Riker wearing this massive brown apron cooking pizzas in his retirement <laughs> right know. but I don't know like <laughs> it gives Picard this giant hug and like the pe- the the cheese dust bounces everywhere but it's it's kind of what you would want it's like kind of what you would want from from catching up with these characters after so long is that you it's not what you think you want but it's kind of what you need you know what i mean yeah. like and that's it would have been so too. easy to have them be exactly where we left them still the captain of the yeah. titan or now he's admiral riker and troy is his faithful wife and his daughter is in starfleet academy now it's yeah. like that's exactly what you would extrapolate right yeah but the idea that they're they're like cooking pizzas while their daughter runs around the forest yeah like a like a like a little huntsman um <laughs> And they're like speaking made up languages to each other and cooking mm. rabbit pizza mm-hmm. and like wearing these big rabbit b- corn, bunny corn, bunny corn. Yeah. Which like, amazing. But it's it's like not what you would expect, but it's like it, it is it is 
deeply in character for them. Like, yeah, right? like if no. Riker and Troy finally have a child and he's deathly ill, like, yeah, they would do whatever. It took to but for Riker, who, but but it's also yeah. like a great. It's a great. I don't want to say it's the end to Riker's arc because you know, ten years ago, I would have said we're never going to see these characters again. But now, who knows? They could show yep. up in more Picard episodes. They could get their own little mini series or short track. Yep. Like, who knows? We we're probably going to see a lot more of these characters for I another ten love... years. But but hold on, let me just finish my thought. But it's like for Riker, whose whose entire character when we first met him in Encounter at Farpoint was like he is. A career Starfleet guy. He's all about like he's like the youngest. He wants to be the youngest captain ever in Starfleet. You know what I mean? Like yep, he's yep, all yep. he's this career man, no nonsense, never smiles, right? And then you look where we left him at the end of like he's like this big cuddly teddy bear character who doesn't want his own com- command so much as he wants to stay on the Enterprise because these people are his family, right? Mm-hmm. It's what a what a great extrapolation of that. Like he literally has to even shortly after getting his own command, which is something that, you know, to varying right. degrees he's always wanted and worked towards for his whole life, he has to abandon that mm-hmm. to to put his family above everything else, which is so what he would do, but is but is such like a tragic you know yep. a tragic reason end for him to, to, the, to his career. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he says he's still technically unreserved, yep. like right. if he were to come back up like and I don't want to say that it wouldn't be cool to see him like putting on the uniform one last time and riding out to help Picard, yeah. you know, with like Worf and Jordy on the bridge helping him <laughs> up. But we saw that already. Like that yeah. was that was the possible future of all good things where like gray bearded Riker brought the Enterprise with its completely unnecessary third nacelle, its vestigial yeah. third nacelle <laughs> out of retirement to come and save Picard to go stop the, the time anomaly thing. Right, like we've right. seen that already. Like yeah. let's, you know what I mean? This is a more interesting. So in that now like you start to wonder like, We've seen Data's fate. We've seen Riker and Troy's. We've seen Picard's. What's, I mean, we got a little bit of what Geordi was up to in the comics where he was the one overseeing the shipyards, building all the ships necessary for the Romulan evacuation. But that was 15 years ago. When the shipyards were destroyed and the evacuation was ended, what happened to him? Like, yeah. did he, was his, was his career scuttled just like Rafi's was for somewhat of the same reason? What happened to Worf? Like, he was going to become the Klingon ambassador to Kronos, but then with no explanation, he was back on the bridge of the Enterprise yeah. and Nemesis because they wanted to have him in that movie. Yeah, yeah. But what's he doing now? Is he still in Starfleet? Is he, is he like, the chancellor of the Klingon Empire now? Yeah. Like, did Martok, you know, after 20 <laughs> years of being chancellor, hand him the reins or something? Yeah. Or, like, you start to wonder, like, man, what sort of cool right. extrapolation could they have for yeah. those characters? Yeah. Cause, but I, I don't know. Can you get any better than I feel like Deep Space Nine? Nemesis ruined it by bringing Worf back into Starfleet and having him be on the bridge of the Enterprise for no reason. But it was such a great ending to Worf's arc to become the Federation ambassador to the Klingon homeworld. Like, what a great way of serving both of the cultures that he yeah. that he that he owes such a debt to, right? Like, yeah. he is liter- he literally became the bridge between the Federation and the Klingon Empire. And we realized and way, that it was perfect. And in a way that because, they would be yeah. receptive to it now that Ch- Marsler is the Marsler. Martok, Martok is the chancellor. Yeah. So he gets to hang out with his new like blood brother. Yep. Right? And go targ hunting with him, like Martok says, while at the same time serving the Federation in a different way. Yeah. Right? That was so perfect. And then it's like, oh, we're gonna do another Surprise, next gen movie, put Worf back on the bridge for for no reason. Yeah. And he just has some line which was cut from the movie where he says he wasn't cut out to be an ambassador. It's like that's such that a sucks. Such yeah. a cop out. I mean so anyway, like I would be interested to see how they extrapolate those characters. But for Riker and Troy, I mean so many great so many great moments mm-hmm. here, you know, great, so all, all the great, like the scenes between Riker and Picard were great. The scene between Troy and Soji was great. Yeah. Where they talk about how what's real is is better than what's fake. And, and Troy kind of brings her around, like using parables, like you see, like, because 
Data, who was like a quote unquote fake person like you and are, she his, just, his, she opened up his to technology could have saved our son, way. so yeah. maybe what's fake is better. And, and Soji's got this whole interesting thing going on where literally everything she thought she knew about herself and the man she loved is was a lie yeah. or manipulation. So she's like, I don't trust any of you people. This could be like a hologram or more manipulation or who yeah. knows what, you know, so she yeah. doesn't trust any of these people. So she and Kestra developed like this sisterly bond. Like, you know, I don't know. Like every scene in this was great. Yeah, I really enjoyed the fact that um, not only did Riker and Troy get amazing stuff here, but seriously, a lot of it was tied. Each of them had a big moment where it was tied to their experience in Next Gen. So um, first officer experience enabled him to... Uh, enabled Riker to completely guess exactly what the plot of well, the and, story was, and probably extensive, it was great. extensive it was logic captain experience too. Like yeah. who knows, he was probably he was probably on the Titan for years before. That's what all I'm this saying. Down, so. I'm saying yeah, but that he was an uh, he was he was a very capable tactician, and you know the joke for not bad for a pizza chef chef is hilarious. But I mean that right there, that scene between them was 100. It was just a tip of the hat to all of that experience that we know that character had. But I loved that Deanna got a similar moment as well when she said it may not be po- um, it may not be politic for a ship's uh, ship counselor to say this, but you had that coming. And then she reads them the riot act, really delving into the motivations, the the history, like this is what she's going through and you're taking it lightly and you're you're in this place, she's in this place, and you don't even conceive of the place that she is in and you need to snap to where she is because otherwise you're never going to communicate and you're never going to be able to f- build a bridge to t- start talking to each other. And she just nailed it well, like knocking even right the out very of the even the very first scene where she sees picard and she embraces him and, oh. and then they pull apart and she has this this look on that her face that was art and but, she she says that she's sorry but that was just she asks how she, she asks how, she, how he's doing and it's like is she just is she is she sensing she just how, how much has gone wrong and now how much danger he's in is she sensing that he's got this medical Terminal diagnosis illness. she is senses it, that it, he's is dying it all of that like but it's all, all she can do too. is sense emotional states like is is i'm dying eventually an emotional state that she could sense that yes. would seem that would be a little unprecedented it's never been that specific it's always been like you know she would no, sit there she knows. I, sense, she knows. I sense deception captain like yes thanks troy we need- but also haha <laughs> yeah i know i know that was some poorly written stuff for for her but i mean no this was just watching two characters Two great actors work. But it, it doesn't great. even have but to be no, entirely the Beta Z thing. But like she's known him for 30 years. Exactly. Right? And so, so all of that experience. It's all in his face. Exactly. All of that experience and all of the emotions she has. Uh, I mean, the, the emotional, uh, sorry, dealing with emotions, that experience that she has, Heck, all of it maybe wraps you could, up. Maybe and, you could even say that like after watching her son die, like she knows the, the mix of emotions that means I know that I don't have a lot of time left. Know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh like man! That, and that, and you, as a now mother, you, you opened it up. Well, to as me a too, mother because... experiencing that, like coming 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 off of your son, like you wouldn't forget what that feels. Like, no, exactly. Right? So, oh wow, you just it might even up be an element of that in there. Yeah, you just opened up a whole new door. Take that, Vulcan. Hello, take that. You know, Star Trek podcast, Picard podcast. Um, both shows I'm thoroughly enjoying, by the way. Um, yeah, amazing guys, get on the Picard train, you guys. If you're not watching this show, I just, I feel sad. I feel sad for you. Find time. Do it. <laughs> yep. 
um, yeah, so that's it for our show. That's it for our show. If you want to reach out to us, questions, comments, suggestions, um, our email address is mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our website is www.smartspodcast.com. On Twitter, we are at smartspodcast. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. How about it's the butterfly flaps? Ooh, very good. <laughs>